Now, here's my question. How many of you know what a Q factor is? Now, I'm not talking physics. There's enough brainiacs in here that you guys go, yeah, I know what that is in physics. Now, we're not talking about physics today, okay? What we are talking about is marketing and that kind of thing. You know what a Q factor, a Q score is? How many people have ever even heard that term? Okay? All right. Here's what it is, just as a definition, okay? This is a Q factor score is a measurement of the appeal a particular person has. The higher the Q score, the more highly regarded, liked, influential, persuasive. Even underlying persuasive. That's why we do this. It's not just to find out how much people like you. It's to find out whether or not you'll do what they say. Okay? So we use it in marketing all the time. Here's another place that we use it all the time. Newscasters. They take the, they'll take a newscaster, they'll turn down the volume, and they'll have people sit with a little dial, and as that person's talking, people are judging them. <laughs> what a wonderful exercise, right? And what they're doing is, is they're saying, I really like that person, which means there's something about them that when I look at them, they seem credible to me. They seem likable and credible, and so I'll receive what they have to say, and I'll tune back into them. If you do that, then of course the ratings go up, they get more ad revenue, and so on. That's what makes the newscasters valuable. Is this Q factor, okay? So it's how liked, influential, persuasive that person is to other people. Now let me give you another example in the marketing world, okay? That's Julia Roberts. Now Julia Roberts has a Q factor that is off the charts. I don't know of anybody I could just think of off the top of my head who would have a higher, just flat out Q factor. It, different people, different things. Julie Brunk. <laughs> She's back there waving her hands. That's funny. <laughs> What's really funny about this, I almost put her picture up there in another part of the sermon, and I went, ah, I can't do that. That is really funny, honey. You do, honey, though. I was going to say, you want to know somebody with a great Q factor? It's Julie. Okay? Yeah, you know? <laughs> I love it that you did that. She would never do that. <laughs> So anyway, that's Julia Roberts, and the thing is, is you can just see the glint in her eyes. What is it about her eyes, right? There's something in there that's just playful and fun and serious and all of these things that it just makes you go, well, what it does is, particularly for women, she's got, think about Q factor in two different ways. It's much more complicated than this, but I'm just sort of for us. Think about it as how much you like them, but then how much do you respect them? How much credibility do they have? See what I mean? So here's, here's a woman who's perfectly matched because this is a fun woman who's beautiful selling makeup. So that makes girls look at that, and some guys too, sorry, but makes, makes them want to buy that makeup, okay? Sorry about the joke. But anyway, the point is, the point is, can you see that? That's a perfect match between, between what she is and what she's selling and they pay her millions of dollars for this, and it is well worth it for them. They make a lot of money off of that picture. Okay? Now, I'm going to show you. Is Adam Lobonsky here today? He's probably streaming if you are. Hi, Adam. You're going to love this one. There's a, there's a commercial that's playing on TV quite regularly right now that is a particularly poor match. This is a guy with a, with a high Q factor, but he's in an ad where his credibility is in another place, it's not in this ad. And what I'm talking about is Matthew McConaughey and these Lincoln Continental commercials. This is the most parodied commercial that you can find anywhere. Now just look at him. Do you see how it almost looks like, what am I doing here? It's like, there's just, there's just this little thing, it's kind of like, 
you know, what am I supposed to be doing? <laughs> now, here's why this is interesting, because Matthew has a super high Q factor. If you see him when he's talking to somebody or doing something, he's very, very likable, isn't he? Right? And you can respect him. He is a darn good actor, right? Make, got an Oscar, so on. So, so you can have a real respect for him, but here's the problem in this one. What we like Matthew McConaughey is because he's all right, all right, all right. Because he's chill. Because he, you know, he plays bongos. And, you know, I, I'll say another inappropriate joke in a minute if I don't keep going. So, but the point is, the point is, is when he's really serious like this, selling us a car, it's like, it's, it's just not a, it just doesn't fit. It makes you uncomfortable to watch a commercial. You're kind of like, did you ever see the Brad Pitt one where he was selling perfume? It lasted about that long on TV. And the reason why was because, again, it just, it was cringeworthy. It, it was like, it was like, you know, you're not supposed to be selling me perfume and you're not supposed to be selling me Lincoln, you know? There's just something about the match between the two. There's something that's not fitting here. See, it's not natural. It's not real. See what I mean? What's that? You shut it off every time you see it. That's how bad it is. Okay. Now, now, with that in mind, let me show you, this is probably the most, it's an iconic ad, it's probably the most brilliant fit for Q-Factor and product. And really, we're looking at Q-Factor, but, but watch, that. That's an iconic image, isn't it, at this point in time now? And the reason why is, first of all, think about likability for this guy. Who doesn't, just the fact that he was willing to wear his hair like that makes him approachable, doesn't it? If he was that smart and he had his act together, we wouldn't like him. <laughs> because he'd be too much. But, but the fact that he wears his hair like that, and, he just kinda, and you know, you see those pictures with his tongue hanging out and him being goofy and all this kind of stuff. And you just go, this is somebody who, I'm not totally sure I'd want to eat dinner with him because, you know, it might get pretty boring after two minutes. But, or at least I'd be lost. But the bottom line is, is you feel you like him, don't you? You just like him. But then he's also like, you know, one of these certifiable off-the-charts geniuses. And he was, in, he was a genius because he thought differently. So when they marry, think different with who he is, that has enormous credibility, doesn't it? See what I mean? Now, here's why I'm going into this in so much detail. Last week, God brought us a message. It happened to be through Eric Lee, but God brought us a message, and we're in Empowered, and we're talking about being able to reach people, and the thing that Eric brought up last week was, is he said, there's this tension in most of our lives between attractional and transformational. Attractional is with my workmates, peers, I'm going to be nice, friendly, approachable, not judgmental. I'm not going to be standing over there with my hands folded or arms folded because of judgment on them. I'm going to be attract. I'm going to love them. I'm just going to be real. I'm going to be natural. I'm going to be normal, right? But now, well, that can put you in what is in other relationships called the friend zone, right? Where you can't really move over into the transformational zone. See what I mean? Because you're just friends. You're equals. You can have a relationship with a mentor, but notice something about that. You don't have to have to actually like the mentor. Usually you do. But a mentor, now that's somebody who's in a transformational role. See that? That's somebody who's 
teaching you something, who's bringing you into something, who's bringing you something, right? And so there's the mentor, mentee. There's a, there's a hierarchical arrangement between the two of you. How do you do that with peers? When you're, right? When the guy that you're a peer with might even be older than you or, or whatever it is, how do you be both attractional which is what we all want to be. God has made us to be that way. God made us to be one, and that is love, and love is attractional, right? When you really love somebody, they love back, and that's what we talked about, and we had an excellent discussion on it, and it was seriously one of the best discussions we've had. It's how to do them. Uh, I really loved it, but the bottom line is, is that what he pointed out was he said, look at Jesus. Here's somebody who was magnificently attractional, and we're not talking about attractional because of the difference that he would make in people's lives. If you look at it, it says he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They liked him. And he was totally challenging them. Zacchaeus is a tax collector, hated tax collector, a bad guy stealing money essentially from Jewish people in order to pay the Roman oppressors, right? So, so, Zacchaeus, short guy, climbs up in a tree, wants to see Jesus attractional. Then he goes home, has lunch with him. And by the end of the lunch, Zacchaeus is giving all his money. By the way, I forgot all about it, but we have another guy in, in Scripture that's exactly the same case, don't we? Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. The guy who wrote the gospel of Matthew was one of these hated tax collectors. So this attractional thing that Jesus had that also transformed, that's what we're supposed to be. And we talked about how do we be both, because for us it's hard. But now think about that for just a second. Should it be hard? Aren't we being made into the image of Christ? But let's start marrying this concept of Q factor and this idea of the tension between them. Because here's what happened. I didn't know I was going to be talking on attractional transformation. I had no idea about that. It's just that I looked at the next scripture in Empowered, in Luke, right where we were, and I saw this little passage, and it's a real short little thing. I said, boy, yeah, I could really do some great sermons on that, but God wasn't letting me. So I said, okay, well, do I know we need to go further? And I looked further, and I went, clearly I'm supposed to be using the scripture. I could feel it in my heart, but I was like, but I don't even know what these two things have to do with each other. They're, they, if they're ever preached, they're never preached together. And then I felt like I was supposed to keep going, and there's a third one that, again, is not typically preached with the other one ever that I've ever heard. So there's three totally different scriptures, totally different sermons, totally different everything. And I'm on my walk and I'm kind of going, I don't know what to do. I, I feel like you're telling me to do this, but what do you, and all of a sudden, this is what God did to me. He went, look at what's happening here. And all of a sudden I went, oh my gosh, God has joined our discussion from last week. We asked the question, how, what is it to be attractional and transparent? How do we do that? And God answered it this week. <laughs> he joined the conversation, the discussion. He said, what if all it is is to be attractional and, and, and transformational? Is to be you. I don't mean the fake you. You want to have a low Q score? Have a secret you're trying to hide from somebody. Take a picture of somebody who's trying to hide something, and almost always it it seems like you can see there's something wrong. You know what I'm saying? It's just, and you, particularly if you see them live, you know, when you're talking to them and so on, and you're going, wow, you know, when I first met you, I thought this, but I can tell there's something that you're hiding. 
Their Q score just starts to go through the floor at that point, right? Because you're, you're scary now. You can't be trusted. I'm not attracted to you, and I'm sure not going to be transformed by you. But think about the person. Now watch. The person who in Christ is so filled with the joy, the joy, the, the joy of life. The joy of what God is doing in them. The glory of the changes that God is making in them. It doesn't mean you have to be in an e easy place. You can be in a really difficult place, and one way of doing it is, God, I hate my life, I hate everything's going on, I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate, right? And then people go, well, I'm not very attracted to that, and it doesn't seem very transformational. But you ever seen anybody who's gone through something really tough, and they've got hope? A real hope? A hope that's actually, you can see, making a difference in them. And there's something of a living water that's pouring out of them that is not just an attractive one, but one you need to drink because you'd like to be able to be like that. <laughs> in the middle of something that tough to be filled with that so much life-giving. Do understand that God has made us, each one of us. God made us. And he made us to be with each other. He made us to be connected to each other. And so when somebody is doing this thing that God intended, see, we get, we get bruised and beaten and scarred, and, and we get beaten down, right, by the world. There's stuff that happens that causes us to be fake and facade and try and, and all this kind of stuff. But, but what God made us to be was something unique, something incredible, something magnificent. And when all of a sudden that thing that God made you to be is coming out, and that doesn't mean you have to be magnificent and all there. It means the process of getting there is one that you've engaged and you're enjoying. You've got this life that is bubbling out of you. And when people see that, even though you're in change and transformation, they're saying, I want what's happening in that person. Don't they? Now watch. That means that you're not only attracted but you're attracted transformationally. <laughs> They're not two separate things anymore. They're the same thing, aren't they? A person that's so filled with life that you are naturally drawn to them is not just somebody that you like. It's something, somebody that you want to be like them. And didn't Jesus say that we were supposed to be like him? And that's what he was. And so when we get to be like that, all of a sudden other people seeing us are being like that. You see it? I'm going to show you how God did this in, these, in this scripture right here. But I just want to tell you, I, when I, I love that discussion. I was watching it, and I was digging it, and I was going, yeah, this is a challenge, and how do we do this, and everything else. And all of a sudden, the way that only God can do, he took this very difficult thing, and he made it just the most simple thing that you could ever imagine. So I'm going to show you this. We're going we're gonna to do it fairly quick because we're going to do something else. John Woodbury, what a, what a perfect, this is, this is a real man. You know what I mean? And when I don't mean, I don't mean real man, I mean this is a real person. You know what I mean? John is who, John is wonderful. When you get to know John, you love him. And there's a lot there, so you want to be like him. So John, pray for us, would you? Unaccustomed to public speaking as I am. <laughs> Just kidding. Lord Jesus, uh, you say in your word that you made each of us in your image. Looking around, 
hard to imagine that. Amen. But you also said that you paid us an incredible compliment. That you gave us the ability to say no. But an amazing promise on the other side that if we say yes, that you, through your spirit, would enter into the spirit you put in us. Amen. And allow us to be transformed into that very image that you intended all along so that you would be glorified, which I take Amen. to mean that your plan is fulfilled. Amen. Let that word go forth to the Lord from the sermon today and touch the hearts of believers here. And may they start the process of transformation Amen. so that their families, the people they encounter, and ultimately the world will come to know that you are the truth, the way, and the life. We thank you for it and rejoice over the hearing of it. Thank you. I ask you to be with the Woodenville Methodist Church. Amen. Lord, a place where the Spirit dwells in the hearts of believers. Amen. And that the word of Christ may spread from them to others as well. And I thank you for all that you do and are about to do now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Awesome, John. Perfect. All right. So here's, here's this three different section. I'm going to read them as three different slides. And I just want you to be looking at how different right now. I don't want you to be looking for the similarity. We're going to get to that in a second. I want you to be looking at how they really seem to like they stand alone. So here's the first one. As he said these things, he's right. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now that's a great scripture. Lots of sermons could come out of that. But then, as the crowds are increasing, he began, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. As Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so the Son of Man will be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Another great section, right? No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it's bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Okay? Three different sections. You see how, you know... And, and now watch, okay? Let's start taking it apart. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said, Blessed is the woman that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. Right here, we have an incredibly human way of seeing things. God did make us to connect with other people, so it's not a horrible thing. But what this woman was doing was is what we all tend to do, which is to exalt other people. 
ourselves too sometimes, but we exalt other people. You know, Jesus is great and special and something different, and so too must his mother be. How blessed must she be? And they've been taught, you know, that some girl is going to get to do the Messiah and blah, blah, blah. So they're saying, blessed is the woman who bore you. And you can just see a woman saying that about another woman, right? Boy, your mother must be so proud of you, <laughs> right? And blessed is she to have raised you, so to think, right? You get it? Where's the focus? On the person. Now, I want to show you something. Jesus rebukes that. I had to go to the ESV, by the way, to pick it up, what's in the Greek. Because what other translations will do is they'll say, blessed is the one who bore you, and, and they essentially have Jesus saying this, yes, and. But he's not saying yes, and. He's actually confronting her. He says, rather, he's actually, let me paraphrase, no. <laughs> no about that whole Mary thing. Here's who's blessed. Here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to get a hold of. See? Rather, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. See what I mean? He's, he's taking it from this natural human thing we do of making people more special. And he's taking it out of that and he's bringing it into an entirely different area of thought. Now do remember who he's saying this to. This is the Jewish people. I, I don't know how, how many people here were brought up Jewish. If you are Jewish, you almost always are brought up Jewish. And I don't mean religiously. I just mean, is there anybody in here brought up that way? Okay. Now, you, if, you just have to understand. From the moment you're born, you're more special. It's, see, the one guy who raised his hand, went, he'd laugh. He went, yep, that's right. <laughs> now, think about how many people in here didn't have that kind of growing up. See what I mean? But what happens in a Jewish family is the whole mentality, the whole identity of the Jewish people is... Chosen, special, better than, somehow better than. You're, you're better than. See it? Now here's what Jesus is doing, because we have to hear, we want to experience what they're experiencing. When this mother says this, it would have been nicer for Jesus to say, yes, and also people are really blessed if they keep the word of God and keep it, right? But when he confronts her, that's not nice. That's not proper. He's violated a social etiquette at that moment in time. So people are already sort of jarred. And again, it's subtle, but he's jarring them about this whole idea that because they're born Jewish, they're more special than other people. What did it take to be born Jewish? What did anybody ever do to earn, to deserve, to get to the place to where you could be born Jewish? What did anybody ever do? You can't do anything, right? This is just how you were born. <laughs> so are you more special than other people? Are you special? Yes. Every person's special. Are you more special than other people? No, because everybody's special. Do you see it? So there's this undermining, there's this little thing, and we're going to see how he plays this out. It, right now it's pretty subtle, but he's going to bring this out in a way as we go on. So now let me get to the second thing that's in here. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. We are those who have the benefit of knowing the end already of the story. Who is Jesus? God. Now, he's not just God. Who is he again? In the beginning, the word already existed. The Word was with God. The Word was God. 
And then the word became human <laughs> and made his home amongst us. So when he's saying, hey, listen to every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Huh. What are they hearing? See, what we hear is Jesus is God and he's saying this, so we're listening for the next words he says. What are they thinking? Where, where do they go when he says every word and obey it? What do they think? Torah. Right? The law. The first part, prophets too, but really Torah. That's what you listen to and obey. Right? That's what you're supposed to obey to every jot and tittle. Right? The principles of the Torah. The doctrine, the dogma. The ideas that are in the Torah. You see it? Now, people will say Jesus never said that he was God. Muslims will say that all the time. Jesus never said that he was God. That's why we don't. Well, that's not true at all, is it? There's actually one point in time where Jesus actually takes on the name I am, the most sacred, intimate name, the name so holy Yahweh, that you don't get to pronounce it. That wasn't God who said don't pronounce it, by the way. We're supposed to say Yahweh, right? We're supposed to use the name because it's that intimate name that he gave us to use. But in that funky little way that we do things, <laughs> we made it to where you can't say it because it's just consonants with no vowels. So it's the holy name of God that can't be touched. When he meant it to be the holy name of God that was not only touched but embraced and absorbed and made intimate with you. And Jesus takes that name on at one point in time, but you could explain that away. You could say, uh, whatever. So, but the point is, there's probably, eh, I'm going to guess right now, I haven't researched this, but there's probably 15 or 20 times when Jesus was absolutely saying, I am God. Here's what he didn't do, though. He didn't say, I'm God. <laughs> because anybody can say that. Do you remember when John the Baptist was in prison and he was about to die? In fact, he's going to die soon. And at the very end of his life, being in this prison and having lived a life of, you know, sackcloth and, you know, eating locusts out in the wilderness, it wasn't like it was a cool, comfortable life. He's in prison and he, and he sends some people to say, did I get this right? Are you the guy? Because <laughs> I think you're the guy. But, you know, did I bet on the right horse? Because, you know, I'm about to get my head chopped off. He doesn't know that, but that's the logical. He knows he's going to die in prison, right? And so he says, did I get the right guy? Now watch Jesus' answer. Because here's what I would have said to somebody that I knew was going to die. Because Jesus, right after saying this, talks about how he's going to die. Here's what I would have said. Yes! <laughs> yes! Yeah, you, got, you bet on the right horse. This is it. But here's the problem with that answer. It doesn't mean it's true. Right? Anybody can say yes. Anybody can say that. Here's what people can't do. Here's what only one person can do. Then he told John's disciples, go back and tell him what you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear. The dead are raised to life. The good news is being preached to the poor. The heart of God is manifesting to heal. Now, Jesus didn't heal him. The Holy Spirit healed him through there. So what we understand is there's only one person that can heal, and that's God. It's not Jesus in his incarnation. The Holy Spirit comes upon him and heals through him. But here's what's being said. Am I, the, am I the guy? Who else could do this? 
Now, if you're John and you're about to die, that's better than yes. That's I bet on the right horse. Because something's happening here that only God can do. Only God can raise him from, from the dead. Right? So we're good. You're good. You see it? Now, now, when I go there, here's what's actually happening. And I want you to really see this because this is what's important. The, the way that Jesus wants us to know him is to look around and see him. What he's not wanting us to do is to get some principles and doctrines and dogma about who he is. Principles, doctrine, dogma are very important. Don't let me, mis don't, 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 let me be misunderstood here. They're very important and they're very helpful. And systematic theology and all this kind of stuff, I, this is a hobby of mine. I love it so much. I read systematic theology books for fun. Okay? That's like some of the weirdos in here that read mathematics books for fun. Okay? Or physics books for fun. And yes, Eric, I'm looking at you. Okay? <laughs> you see what I mean? This is just something I love. I love doctrine. I love dogma. I love the logic of theology. I love this stuff. But let me tell you one, the one thing that I resist just, just passionately. I'm not worshiping doctrine, nor dogma, nor principles. I'm worshiping a, a real living person, and I'm in relationship with a real living person. Jesus doesn't want us to believe in something. He wants us to believe in someone. We have a constitution in this country. It's a set of written rules made, made by several different people, right? And people that understand the nature of these kinds of documents go back to the original intent of the co-founders. But I'm telling you, I was watching a, a, a Saturday Night Live news thing, and one of, the, one of the news hosts on Saturday Night Live about the constitution made this joke. I'm, I'm not going to repeat it well, so you don't have to laugh. But he said, he said, uh, he said, what is the Constitution but a piece of paper written on 400 or 200 years ago by a bunch of white guys? Now, see, that's offensive to somebody who really believes in the Constitution. But his point is true. The Constitution is a document that was written by people and has been argued over ever since. And we continue to bend it and meld it and do anything we really want with it as long as you're smart enough to be a Supreme Court justice. You don't have to stay true to the original intent. We call it a living document by some people. Other people say, no, it needs to be this and that. And we get in all these arguments about how to keep it true. But the fact of the matter is we're arguing over principles and doctrines and dogmas. And we've already seen now how far away you can get from what the original intent was. Can't you? Here's what you cannot do with a person. BJ, I'm sorry, but could you come up here? I should have asked you. I meant to ask you before, but I forgot. And because it's you. This is a, this is a man that I love deeply. Now, here's what VJ and I did not do to establish a relationship. I did not say, VJ, tell me your story. And then from his story, I wrote down the principles that led to doctrines, that led to dogma. And now what I do in my relationship with him is, is I, have, I make sure that I stay true to the principles and the doctrines and the dogma that I wrote down about this man. Do you see how inadequate to the task that would be, why? Because he's alive. Because one circumstance happens, and he reacts one way, 
And then another circumstance happens, and for all the tea in China, it looks like that's the same exact circumstance, and yet there's something in it that's actually different, and so he's different in it. If I'm going to have a real relationship with Vijay, here's the only way I can do it. I have to stay true to Vijay. Not principles, doctrines, dogmas that come out of it. I have to stay true to the man, to the human being, to this person that God made, to who he is. If I want to have a friendship with him, I can't violate that relationship. You see it? Thank you, Vijay. Now, this is exactly what God's doing. Jesus and God are grounding our faith and our belief in our relationship with the living God. Again, never let me say that that doesn't mean doctrine, dogma is, all, is not important. It is very important. It helps us to understand more deeply. Because if you're just saying, well, it's a relationship, then you can make him up to be anything he wants. Why? Because he's not sitting right there like Vijay is. And he's not able to say to me like Vijay is, you really offended me when you said that. <laughs> that was not me at all. You see it? There's a dynamic in a relationship that is infinitely complex, but incredibly simple. Easy, right? If, as long as you're being sensitive, as long as you're actually trying to have a relationship with him. Are, are we good here? What I'm going after is, I, I want us to see this background of what Jesus did when he answered this question from this woman. It may feel like, well, I don't even know what she said because that was a long time ago. So let me bring you back home on it. Here's what he said. Don't do that human thing where you see with human eyes and you give somebody special favor. There's nobody more special than anybody else. The people that are blessed are the ones that pay attention to what the Lord says and do that. And who's saying that? We know it's God. They don't yet. But he's about to make that argument in a way that's going to challenge him. Watch this. Second, second section. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it. We've talked about this, this passage in another context several times. So let me just say it this way. This is phenomenally offensive to Jesus. See, Here's what he's saying. Look around and see your life. Look around and see the way that I've provided for you. Look around and see the way that I've loved you. Look around and see the way that I've healed you. Look around and see the way that I've helped you. Look around and see the things that I've done. You want to know who I am? Look at those things. And then take it further. Who can do those things? Because only God can. So it should have pointed you to God. It should have pointed them to who this person was. But here's what was happening. We're so wrapped up in our own selves and our own understanding that we're not actually making a connection with him at all. And we're saying, well, if you're God, prove it. Let me, let me take this into modern day so that you can get how this is offensive to Jesus even right now the way we act. Most of the people in here, not everybody, but most of the people in here have a pretty good job. Pays them pretty decently. If you didn't, you couldn't live here. It's too expensive. Most of the people in here have a pretty good job. And a lot of people in here have a decent house. Right? Something a lot of the world doesn't have. But you have a pretty, you know, you like where you live. Most people. Not everybody, but most. 
right? And, and a lot of people in here, not everybody again, but a lot of people have like a really great family. You know, people that you love and that love you. And there may be some issues, but, but pretty much you feel pretty fortunate about most of those relationships, right? Maybe there's, there's always one or two that stand out a little bit, maybe. Some of you are fortunate enough, like me, to not have any of those, where they're all just cool on their own basis. Now watch. See, I can say, as I do, thank you, God. Thank you for the job that I get to have. Thank you for the place that I get to live. Thank you for the family that I have. Thank you for the friends that I have. Thank you, God. Thank you. But God isn't compelling us to say thank you. He's given us the right to say, I don't see that there's a God. Right? But now think for just a second about the Jewish people. They did have a relationship with God. They were the chosen people. That was the nature of their identity. And so they should have been, of all people, the ones saying thank you for this nation and thank you for what you've done and thank you for your provision and thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, right? But what they're doing is, is they're saying, prove it to me. To which if I was Jesus, I would have said, open your eyes. Look at what I've done. Look at what you have. To the modern person who didn't grow up in a Jewish setting, I would say this, creation. We are now to the place to where to believe that human beings happen by chance is the chances of that happening is now, and this is not Christians that make up these statistics, it's the, the chances of this happening randomly is one times 10 to the, I wish Dave McCoy was here, he'd know exactly where it is right now, Mike Hatch might too if he's here. But does Eric know, what is it, one times 10 to the, it was 48, but I think it's in the 50s now, it's 51 or 52 or something like that. But here's the point, here's the point. That is a number that's larger than all the atoms in the universe. That's like going to the state of Texas, and at one point in time it was six feet deep, but when you get to, the, when you get to 10 times to the 50 and the 52nd member, that's a zero, which is a whole lot. Right? Every new zero you add is a whole lot more. It would be like having silver dollars, and I'm just, I'm, I think I'm roughly close on this. It'd be like having silver dollars covering the entire state of Texas to a distance of probably at this point in time about 50 feet. And you reaching your hand down into all of those coins over the entire state and picking out the one coin that gets to human beings on a rock hurtling through deadly space and yet being able to drive a nice car and have a loving relationship with your wife or husband or friends. You see it? In other words, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is, is you can say anything you want to say. You can believe anything you want to believe. You can make any choices you want to make. God lets you. But at some point in time, the choices you make are actually not very reasonable. They actually start to strain credulity. It starts to become obvious that to say no to this is a problem. To say that this happened by chance at this point in time is an act of faith that is larger than the one that says that God did it. You see what I'm saying? Now watch. If I'm being serious about life, there's a claim being made by God that he made this and that he blessed me. And he's not looking for thanks. Don't understand. Jesus doesn't do nice things for you so that you'll say thank you. He does nice things because that's the nature of his character. That's what he does. He just does nice things. 
He blesses, right? And it's one thing to say thank you to him. It's another thing to not thank him. And that's kind of like rude, but it's not offensive. Does that kind of make that distinction? It's kind of like not nice that you didn't say thanks, but whatever, you know, you can believe that. But, but it's another thing entirely to say this. You're not the one that gave it to me. Something else did. That's offensive. <laughs> See? Because despite all evidence to the contrary, you have brought in your own a priori. You know what a priori is? It's a, is a, it's a philosophical term. And what it means is, is, what are your presuppositions, essentially? What do you come into understanding anything with? What glasses do you put on that you're going to see what you're going to look at through? Because that's going to determine your results. If you say there is no God, then you cannot, no matter what the odds are, say that God is the one who did it. You can't do it. Because your a priori is there is no God. If you're open, if you take off your glasses and you'll just look at it soberly and honestly and rationally and, and, and look at the evidence, the evidence is overwhelming. Nonetheless, God gives you the ability to, as, as was prayed in the beginning, God gave us the ability to say no. And you can put on your a priori, your presupposition, your bias and say there is no God, in which case you end up having to say something else is why I have this. Because it's not just that you're alive, it's that you've got a job, and so you must be pretty smart. Now, there's truth in that, right? Guys at Microsoft are not stupid. Sometimes you think your boss is, but that's a different thing, <laughs> okay? You know, you have to be pretty sharp to get the kind of jobs that people give out around here and pay you big money for. But think about that for a second. What's the attitude is the attitude one? I'm going to go into this in a little bit more. I, I almost wish I could just skip to it right now so that you could see it. Uh, I think it's too far down. So what's the attitude? What's the heart? Is it... Let me put a pin in that because I want to get to it with an image that's really going to bring this home to you. So what I want to do right now is I just want us to be right here. That it's an evil generation that's asking for proof. It's an evil generation that's not looking at what they could see if they would just look. But they're insisting to do something else, okay? Now, next. Where am I? Except the sign of Jonah. Jonah became a sign of the people of Nineveh. So will the son of man be this generation. Now, if you're a Jewish person, this is really an insult to you now. <laughs> You've just insulted him by demanding a sign, and he's insulting you back right now. Now, he's not actually doing that, you understand. But what he's doing is he's drawing a parallel, and here's the parallel. You know those Ninevites? Don't you hate them? Why? These are people that regularly come down and still kill and destroy. These are the, these are the people that killed your mother, that took your baby and slaughtered it in front of your face. That's who these people are. When God told Jonah, go up there and tell these people to repent, Jonah was like, I won't do it. You know why he said I won't do it? It wasn't just because he hated them. Do you remember what he said? I'm not going to do it because I know who you are, God. You're going to go up there and say something, and if they respond, you're going to forgive them. <laughs> and that is not cool. <laughs> I'm not into this. This is not okay with me. 
I'd rather go somewhere else. So he literally tries to go somewhere else and ends up in the belly of a fish and gets spit back up on the mouth. He says, okay, whatever. And so he ends up in Nineveh and he says it. And what do the people of Nineveh do? Why did they repent? This is amazing. This is unbelievable. Nineveh was the people that thought they were better than the Jewish people. Everybody thinks they're better than whoever, everybody thinks they're better than the other person. The other person thinks they're better than you. <laughs> right? The people of Nineveh win the wars. They're like, who are these wrong side of the track people? That's what Nineveh thinks. They're the big powerful place. Why did they listen to Jonah? I don't know. I can't tell you. What I can tell you is, though, is they did, and now here's a bunch of Jewish people who should know who's standing in front of them. It has been prophesied. It's not that Jesus does miracles. It's that the miracles that he does are the ones that God said he would do. So it was prophesied and then done. Try and work that out in your life. <laughs> How do you go back to before you were born and have things written about you so that you can fulfill them? <laughs> Hard to do unless you're God. And what's happening right now is, is Jesus is saying this to Jewish people that should have known him. He's saying, those people you hate, <laughs> they repented and you won't. <laughs> Look, this is exactly the way he says it at the end of this section, isn't it? The men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah's here. But you see it? You see the parallel he's making? This is tough stuff. If you're a Jewish person listening to this, he's just said the people of Nineveh are better than you. <laughs> and you don't think that. So there's a challenge here. But look at what's really happening. Watch this. Here's this queen of Sheba. Is this a big deal? The queen from the south rise up in the judgment of the instant and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Was she Jewish? No. What did she do? Why did she go and listen to Solomon? Go all the way. She's a queen. Solomon, you come to me. That's what queens do and that's what kings do. Right? Why does she go to him? Because she looks around and she says, as a queen, I've heard about and know a lot of smart people. But something about this smarts is different than anybody else's smarts. And that's true of Solomon, right? Wisest man that ever lived, and it was divinely ordained. It was anointing that was on him. And this woman figured that out. Now, can I say something? This is a total aside. But I really want to let men off the hook and put you on the hook harder. I think it's easier for women to see what's going on around them than it is for guys. And it's not because guys are just so self-centered or anything. I think the way your brains are, the way that you're totally wired right to left brain to where, you know, men are, women are spaghetti and men are waffles, we're compartmentalized in our thinking, and we can be because we're, we're, we're brain damaged. We have less connections between the right and the left. But when women think one thing connects to this thing, connects to this thing, connects to this, and when they start seeing something happening that's different and odd and it's more than what I normally see, they start, their brain just automatically starts going, I need to pay attention to that. Because there's something more than what I can fit into my understanding of things. And so I think it's not unimportant that this woman is the one who catches this. And I just want to say to guys, it doesn't mean that you can't be incredibly sensitive too. What it means is you have to actually pay attention to the Holy Spirit who knows everything. 
And if you'll get synced up with him, if you'll get tight with him, he'll quicken it to you. Is that okay? Now, by the way, that's true with women too, right? Because they can get it so wired up that they get it wrong like the garden. So they need to pay attention to the Holy Spirit too so that whatever they do come up with is actually God and not something else. See that? So a little sidebar, I don't know, whatever. That's what I see. All right? But, but here's the part that I really want you to see in this. A person that was not a Jewish person recognized the difference and sought it out at great cost, at great sacrifice, and so on. She had to leave her country for, I think it was a couple of years. It wasn't like she came up for a weekend, flew up on her private jet. Okay? But look at this. Something greater than Solomon's here. If you're a Jewish person... Do you, do you realize that Jesus got killed for saying that? In a slightly different fashion. But he made a claim about himself and the temple and God and who he was. That the high priest said, do we need any more proof? That's a blasphemer. And he's kind of doing it right here again, isn't he? Greater than Solomon. Who are the three big people in the Old Testament? The three biggies. Moses, David, Solomon. Solomon was the smartest man that ever lived. The richest man that ever lived before or since, much richer than Bill Gates. And you can do that. You can work it out. And it makes Bill Gates look poor. Okay? <laughs> Solomon, Solomon was the smartest, richest, wisest, had the most, had everything. Solomon had more than any single human being in the history of mankind has ever had. And Jesus sits there and audaciously says, something greater than Solomon is standing here right now. We are supposed to be listening. We're, you see what he's doing? By the way, he doesn't just say something greater than Solomon. He also says something greater than Jonah. If you're a Jewish person and you're listening to this, if you're actually listening, not just judging to pick out the parts you want to make your case, but if you're actually paying attention to what he's saying, Jesus is saying something extraordinary here. Something greater than Solomon is here. Really? What? What? Who? And when you start looking at everything he's done, which is all the stuff that was prophesied, you start having to say Messiah. And by the way, not just Messiah, God. It's not hard to get there. You just have to be willing to open your eyes and look at it. You see what he's saying right here? That word of God he wants you paying attention to? That's coming from his lips. I'm the word become flesh. Those words that were written are me. See it? So all of a sudden now, we are tuned in and we're listening. For what? What he's about to say now. Because he did all this stuff and he got us there. And now what are we supposed to hear? And this is the point of the whole sermon. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar under a basket, but on a stand, so as may enter and hear the light. Let me, let me read that two ways to you. The first way that it can be read is, is no one puts me under a lampstand. 
Look, I'm bringing you a great light. A great light has come amongst you. That's what the word said, and that's what he's being right now. That's a prophecy, and he is that light. And he's saying, don't you be putting no lampshade over me. You see it? You're, you're, you're dimming my brightness by your presuppositions and by your refusing to see facts for what they are. You're, try, you're dimming me. And that's harming you. And bringing judgment on you. Because that's what he just said. And then he says, but then there's a second way of reading it. You're supposed to be that light. When you get that light in you, don't go putting a shade over it. <laughs> don't go dimming it. Shine. Watch. Here's how he says it. Your eye is a lamp of the body. What's he saying? The stuff that goes in, how do you let it get into your heart? How do you let it get in, right? He's just using the eye as a metaphor, and he's saying there's stuff coming into you. But it, the, the, the metaphor he uses is not unimportant. Here's what he's saying. Look around. Do you see me? <laughs> or do you not? Because if you see me, you're going to be going, Wow! <laughs> And people that are going, wow, tend to be somebody that people go, what? <laughs> right? You know, Julie and I are in Jackson Hole, and we had to, I had to stop to do something. But in Jackson Hole, when people stop on the side of the road, because there's a moose there. So I stopped to do a little work on something I had to do some work on. And by the time we got done, there was five other cars that were stopping to see what we were looking at. <laughs> right? Somebody, you're walking down the street, and somebody's looking up. What do people do? Look up. If you're going, wow, because of what you're seeing, because of what is actually there, people want to know what's there. What makes you go, wow? People want wow in their life. <laughs> right? Because it's filled with enough death and disappointment and heartache. Wow's good. And what he's saying is, is let the wow come in. Let me come in. Let me start to do things inside of you. Let me start. It may be tough. But let me start to do things inside of you because I love you and because I'm setting you free from things that have kept you in bondage, that have, that have made you dark and bound. See it? Bring this in here. Get your body to where it's full of light. Look, if it's bad, if the stuff you're getting in is, well, that was, I did this and I did this and I did this and I did this and I did this, then what you end up being is somebody that nobody wants to be around. Now, I actually kind of like this guy as an actor, but I don't like him as a human being. And that's a hard thing for me to say. That I, 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 I was just hardly anybody. And I'm sure if I met him, I'd go, you're a really nice guy. But this is that image I wanted you to see earlier. This is James Wood. And I think he has, a, what, 168 IQ or something like that. This guy is genuinely very, very smart. But if, if you've ever seen him, when he's doing an acting role, he's fine. But when, if you've ever seen him in real life, he's really smart. And he's kind of holding it over you. I'm smarter than you. What do we do when somebody says that they're smarter than us? They may, they may be absolutely factually true, but what do we do? Exactly. I don't like you. <laughs> I'm not attracted to you. I don't want to be like you. I don't like you. I don't want to be like something that I don't like. You see it? Now, this is too harsh on poor James Wood, but, okay? 
He does project himself, doesn't he? I mean, I'm not the only one that shares this, but think about the roles that he gets. He doesn't get too many nice guy roles. He gets the creepy role, right? Because there's just something creepy about him. Sorry, God, forgive me. He's special too, and his mother loves him. Okay, sorry. <laughs> and this is where I wanted to put up the picture of Julie. I wanted to say, what about a person that's humble? What about a person who has a lot of gifts? But instead of saying, I have a lot of gifts and I'm better than you, what they're saying is, I, God has given me all these incredible things and isn't it wonderful? And they don't see themselves as wonderful. They see God as wonderful. They see something else as wonderful. You don't even have to be a Christian on this particular one, right? If you're just humble and you see the things that have happened to you as something that happened to you and you're thankful, when people are thankful, how are we towards them? When people are really thankful for what they got and they're not saying, I got it, we tend to like them, don't we? We're drawn to people who are being thankful. If they give credit out, we like them. That's a better trait. What are we supposed to be as Christians? Real simple. Light. Why, why do I get to stand up here? There's only one reason. God got a hold of me. And he did incredible things with me. He completely transformed me. And he did so many wonderful things to me that I just can't wait to come and talk to you about them. <laughs> he does them every single week. I'm telling you, every single sermon is another revelation this week that I can't wait to share with you. Because look what God gave me. This is not me standing up and saying, well, I've studied a long time and I've learned this particular principle and now let's work at this principle and boy, we're, we don't, I wish you guys were smart enough to understand the principle. That's just obnoxious crap. Right? But when somebody is going, look at this. This is so cool and it's for you too. It's for anybody who just wants to enter in. You see, when we come with a bent knee, when we come with humility, genuine, not fake. Boy, when somebody's trying to be fake humble, well, how's that look? <laughs> right? Wow, right through it. Wow, I really don't like you. Right? But when somebody is genuinely, like, thankful and God has done, and all of a sudden, even in the darkest, deepest, most difficult times, if you are being filled with joy, if you are being filled with life, if you are being filled with this incredible thing that God is in a way that makes you want to just burst it out, and you don't have to be a Mr. Extrovert like me, in your own introverted way, you can be so filled with thanksgiving and with joy and with happiness and with God that when people see you, they say, you've got something that isn't in me, I want to be with you. And they come expecting to get some of that, which is to say transformational. Which is to say, as we've been saying, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Do you have that? Answer the question. Just don't, don't, don't. This is, this is one of those multiple choice questions where you don't get to think about the answer. Can you say I have life and I have it abundantly? Can you say that I have life in a way that is bubbling out of me as rivers of living water? Can you say that? 
I'm not showing, asking a show for hands, but if we said that and people are being truthful, it's about 10% of the room. The rest of us are caught up and struggling and trying to figure this out and struggling with this and fighting with this. And, and there's all kind, that doesn't mean there's not joy too. But it just means that are we, are we life bubbling over? Are we joy bubbling over? Is it God who's bubbling over? You see it? Because what God's trying to do, all we have to do to be attraction transformational is to let God so invade and fill our lives that the darkness is pushed out. I think about in the beginning, there was light and the darkness couldn't comprehend it. That's the fancy way of saying where there's light, there can't be darkness. Light, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't scare it away. It just can't be. See what I mean? When there's light, darkness just isn't. So if you're just letting God be all and everything in you, then you're filled with light and you're radiating out. And people are drawn to it like a moth. Because they're built to. Because God made them that way. He made them to want this life. And so they come with great attraction to be transformed as he fills our lives with his light. So here's what I'm going to do right now. I want you to take a minute. I want you to take some time right now. And we, if I could get a little background music, great. But, but watch this. Am I living in joy? If not, why not? Remember that one where he says, I have this against you. You lost your first love. You became about doctrines and principles and dogmas. And somehow you just got it all kinked up. And it's not about relationship with me anymore. It's not joy anymore. It's not the joy of life. So I want you to take some time right now. And just in the Lord, I want you to just pray. And I want you to ask him those, those questions. Am I living in joy? The joy of Christ? Not just, not just the joy that you got a good job and all that kind of stuff. That's nice. And that's pretty attractional too. But we're talking about this transcendent thing that God does when he's in a person's life. The creator is in your life, calling to others through your life. You see it? Am I living in joy? If not, why not? And, and what's going on, God? <laughs> Where am I missing it? Pray. Pray.